Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. We are taking uh, appropriate defense and deterrent steps with allies and partners. We've called for a U.N. Security Council meeting. We call on the DPRK to refrain from further provocations. The United States and the world seek a stable and peaceful Korean Peninsula. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top name. No one should be going to jail for drug crime. Period particularly marijuana. He supports decriminalizing uh, marijuana use and automatically expunging any prior uh, criminal record. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Kim Jong-un will not be ignored. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as the threat level rises around the Korean Peninsula. After the North fired two suspected short-range ballistic missiles in the direction of a U.S. carrier strike group, one of them flying directly over Japan. We'll discuss with Kurt Tong at the Asia Group, former U.S. Ambassador for Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation. Later, President Biden makes good on a promise of marijuana reform, sort of, announcing plans to pardon those convicted of possession while aiming to reschedule the plant for research. We'll have more on what this means with criminal defense attorney Jeffrey Lichtman and with our panel, Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano is with us, Democratic analyst along with Republican strategist Bill McGinley of the Vogel Group. This is what it sounded like in Tokyo, not in World War II, but yesterday. As what we believe to be two short-range ballistic missiles were shot from North Korea, one of them directly over Japan. The first launch of a rocket over the country in five years. This is shortly after North Korea condemned the Biden administration for redeploying the Ronald Reagan Aircraft Carrier Group. It's in waters just east of the peninsula. They say that escalated tensions, and of course it follows the visit from Kamala Harris to the DMZ. Karine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, speaking to the violation. The launch was a danger to the Japanese people, destabilizing to the region, and a clear, a clear violation of the United Nations Council's uh, Security Council resolutions. We also heard from the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken. We are taking uh, appropriate defense and deterrent steps with allies and partners. We've called for a U.N. Security Council meeting, uh, and we're consulting with, uh, with our partners on next steps. Um, but I also want to make very clear that our commitment to the defense of uh, our allies and partners, Korea and Japan, uh, is, uh, is ironclad. Statement from the North Korean Foreign Ministry. The DPRK is watching the U.S. posing a serious threat to the stability of the situation on the Korean Peninsula and in its vicinity by redeploying the carrier task force 
in waters off the Korean Peninsula. When we talk about a carrier strike group, that's the aircraft carrier and all of the components that come with this. This is the most deadly mobile platform in the world. And so that's where we begin here. By the way, that language sounding a lot like Beijing following the visit by Nancy Pelosi and the whole uproar over the Strait of Taiwan. This is where we begin with Kurt Tong, managing partner at the Asia Group, former U.S. Consul General in Hong Kong and Macau, former U.S. Ambassador for Asia Pacific Economic Cooperation. Just the man we need to speak with now. Ambassador, welcome to Bloomberg. Thank you. How much of these missile launches by North Korea are a reaction to the Reagan carrier group being deployed in the region versus Kim Jong-un feeling ignored by the international community? Well, those are probably both factors in the, in the exact timing of the missile launch. But I think that it's important to keep in mind uh, another key objective for North Korea, which is to continue to develop and refine their, their technology both missile technology and nuclear technology. And so in order to do that, they need to test it. Mm. And that, that, that's no excuse for them breaking UN Security Council resolutions and threatening their neighbors. Right. But, but it, it is a, uh, a fact that under, underscores their, their, um, the drumbeat of their, of their launches. Well, does a meeting of the Security Council mean anything anymore with Russia and China at the table? How does this all add up? Well, one of the difficulties of, of shaping North Korea's decisions has always been that the, it is, the country is so isolated mm-hmm. that additional sanctions have a limited effect. And at this point, North, Korea, North Korea's external economic relationships are almost exclusively with China. And China is, has never proven willing to push North Korea hard enough that it would actually really force it to make some tough decisions mm. about it, about its weapons program. So the leverage, in, in addition to the fact that the Security Council is probably not the best venue for additional actions, because for the reason you cited, yeah. um, the, the existing re- uh, sanctions are also not um, really biting because North Korea, by having a, a very weak and isolated economy is immune to them. Right. Uh, Lobbing missiles, Ambassador, over Japan is something we have not seen in years. How dangerous is that escalation? Well, it's certainly very worrisome to to the Japanese people. Um, And it demonstrates an ability to reach uh, all of Japan with with missiles. Um, Um, No one's quite sure how highly targeted these items are or whether they'd be willing to hit any specific targets. But the the, uh, the demonstration of that capability is certainly very concerning to Japan. It's also concerning to the United States. The, the latest missile launch, as I understand it, uh, theoretically has the capability to reach Guam, which is U.S. territory. And that would be uh, a whole other world if something like that happened, though. Who is the missile for? Who is the missile over Japan for? Tokyo or the U.S.? Who is the audience? Well, I think both. Yeah? But probably more the U.S. Um, I thought you the, might say uh, that. The, I think that North Korea views U.S. as a uh, potential um, interlocutor. Again, the question is how much of their program is intended just to have the program and they need it and they want it, yeah. and how much of it is intended as a negotiating item. Um, the uh, uh, it's it's always hard to tell until you sit down and talk to the North Koreans, but mm. but certainly they view the United States as 
by far the most important interlocutor for negotiations. And no one's about to sit down with them from the United States. Is that fair to say? It doesn't appear so, no, because the U.S. has has seen this movie several times now. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, and it's become quite a franchise. Well, that's right. And, 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 And also the United States has a significant deterrent against North Korea actually using the weapons that it's developing. Yeah. Um, so it ends up be, uh, becoming a, a, a stable but dangerous situation, stable and mm-hmm. dangerous at the same time. Dangerous because of a miscalculation by North Korea or uh, accidental launch or a, a failed launch could, could end up escalating into a crisis. The timing here is awful, uh, considering new tensions uh, over Taiwan, tensions with China, the Taiwan Strait. A broken relationship, if I can call it that, describe it that way, between the U.S. and Beijing, a Russia at war. Ambassador, right. what is all this leading to? Well, it's it's quite worrisome. I think North Korea, again, to your timing question, is seeing that uh, given the current state of U.S.-China relations, they're less concerned about the U.S. convincing China to put a lot of pressure on North Korea. Yeah. But more broadly, to your point, I think the 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 confluence of increased tensions around Taiwan and the war in Ukraine is really, uh, and certainly I feel this in the consulting business, is making people very uncertain about the, the near-term future um, in the security space. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's going to put real pressure on the Biden administration to do deaf diplomacy. What are your clients most worried about? I think they're concerned about uh, the, the that the situation around Taiwan could escalate yeah. out of control. And, then, you know, we re- I reassure them that, that there are lots of, of circuit breakers that can uh, prevent things from escalating and becoming huh. uh, incredibly uh, d- dangerous or disruptive. But, but you know, people sinking um, tens of billions of dollars in various businesses are always, of course, concerned about the risk. Well, yeah. Well, we thought there might be some circuit breakers in Ukraine as well, didn't we? That's right. And the, the, those circuit breakers didn't seem to work, mainly because of the character of the Russian leadership. Right. Um, and this is a fundamental question for the United States as they, as they consider um, the issue with respect to Taiwan. Is, is at the end of the day, um, Xi Jinping a rational actor? Uh, the the, the disincentives or the, or the cost to China of drastic action on Taiwan, military action, from an obj- any objective standpoint, would far outweigh the benefits. Um, but, the, but there is an emotional and um, historical element to this issue that is quite powerful as well. And so handling that skillfully is, is really an important challenge for uh, the United States and for China. Are you uh, curious about Kim Jong-un's silence over the past couple of weeks? Uh, He's been out of the public eye more than three weeks now, his longest absence in a year. They made a big deal out of it last time he disappeared for a while. And it's uncharacteristic, as as we're writing on the terminal. Typically, this comes with a lot of chest thumping when you have missile tests like this, but there's almost no one talking. Yeah, I I never know what to make of that, those those kind of absence questions. It could be guys just taking a vacation somewhere but the um but who knows it, it, it's really hard to, to to guess lastly ambassador if the united states got into something deeper here regretfully uh and and of course nothing that the pentagon is planning now but if something did spiral out of control around taiwan or north korea would we be able to balance 
from a weapons standpoint, wars on, on two sides of the world, supporting Ukraine and becoming involved in a conflict in Asia? I think it would strain our resources. I'm not a, a deep expert on this, but I, my understanding is that it would it would be a strain. But the, the military planners have, for, for many years, thought about ways to, to have a robust presence in both Europe and, and the Pacific. And and uh, so I, I wouldn't despair, but it is a it's a, you know it's a, it's an issue of concern. Something we don't really want to think about. Kurt Tong, I want to thank you for being with us. He's managing partner at the Asia Group, former U.S. Consul General in Hong Kong and Macau, former U.S. Ambassador for Asia Pacific Economic Cooperation. Ambassador, thanks for being with us today on Bloomberg. Thank you. So the pressure is rising, and coming up, we assembled a panel for their take on this. Bloomberg Politics contributor, Democratic analyst Jeannie Shanzano, along with Republican strategist Bill McGinley from the Vogel Group. This is Bloomberg. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how the Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Following the missile launches from North Korea, the U.S. got together with Japan and South Korea and conducted joint naval drills earlier today as the aircraft carrier group USS Ronald Reagan was redeployed. This is fascinating. I've never heard of this. It pulled a rare U-turn. The aircraft carrier group redeployed in waters between South Korea and Japan, making that U-turn after Kim fired the missile that went over Japan. Isn't there a saying about turning around an aircraft carrier? Well, they actually did it. One ping only, please. And it's making people worry about what might come 
as we conduct joint naval drills. This feels a lot like the whole story around Taiwan, but I can assure you Nancy Pelosi is not about to go uh, to North Korea. Although Kamala Harris was recently in South Korea, and that may have prompted some of this as well. Let's assemble our panel. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano, our Democratic analyst, along with Bill McGinley, Republican strategist, principal at the Vogel Group, former National Republican Senatorial Campaign Committee General Counsel. It's great to have both of you here. Yeah, Matt, you're probably right. A U-turn that cost a trillion dollars. Jeannie, how worried are you about this, or is it just Kim Jong-un making noise? I think it's very concerning, and I think the reaction of the United States, um, as you mentioned, the U-turn itself is but one signal. Also, Japan and South Korea, everyone seems to be on edge. We've seen them come back with a show of force. And, of course, when the United States and several other members of the U.N. Security Council asked for that emergency meeting on Wednesday, Mm -hmm. they couldn't get any agreement. And you had Russia and China there saying that it was the U.S.-led military exercises that had provoked North Korea. So, you know, this is where we are and why it is so concerning at this moment when, you know, you've got Russia involved in what it's involved in and you've got this going on in the East. So forget the Security Council, Bill McGinley. Apparently there's really just no reason to have it at this point with the with the war raging in Ukraine and Russia sitting at the table. Obviously, China uh, would always love an opportunity to embarrass us a little bit. So this means what the U.S. and regional partners like Japan have to figure this out alone. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, the UN at this point is nothing but a debating society uh, and a messaging forum uh, to try and get our side of the story out. But in terms of real impact on these situations, I think uh, its standing is greatly diminished, if not uh, I- anywhere that that where it should be in, to deal with these types of issues. I mean, I think what this shows uh, with North Korea becoming increasingly aggressive, uh, obviously, been, we've been watching China being increasingly aggressive against Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And as Jeannie said, you know, with all of the statements from Vladimir Putin and the Russians uh, annexing part of uh, Ukraine and then threatening uh, nuclear war if they're attacked, um, we're seeing tensions escalating across the globe, not decreasing right now. And one of the places we're not talking about uh, that also is boiling is the uh, Middle East mm-hmm. uh, with some of the issues that are there. So the world's becoming far more complicated and, uh, and, and tensions are rising. And so this is going to be a real challenge for the Biden administration uh, to corral our allies so that we can do an effective diplomatic response so we yeah. don't end up in a kinetic war anymore. God forbid. But these stories get a lot more complex when you start stacking them on top of one another. But Kim Jong-un has fired off a record number of ballistic missiles this year. I'm not sure a lot of people are aware of that, Jeannie. We used to, they used to make a lot more news, frankly, and it got to be the boy who cried wolf. But, uh, you know, this most recent barrage uh, has so far totaled 10 missiles. That's since September 25th. And, of course, also coincided with the visit to the region, as I mentioned, by Vice President Kamala Harris. Uh, at what point does the U.S. stop ignoring? I mean... Military drills are one thing, but Kim Jong-un clearly feels like he can get away with anything. He does. And the sound you played at the top of the, you know, you hear is such an eerie sound. And that was one of the intermediate range missiles that they flew over Japan, which is a stunning development. And what we're hearing is 40 ballistic and cruise missile launches this year alone, which is a stunning number. And so the United States is trying to respond by working closely with its allies. We heard Anthony Blinken in Chile come out. Um, You know, I think your previous 
previous guest made a very important point about the fact that North Korea, because it wants to develop this technology, has to test it. Um, but mm -hmm. it is doing so and it is flaunting what is, uh, you know, agreed upon international uh, etiquette, let alone law. And so, you know, the United States is going to have to react, but it's going to have to do so in a rapidly changing world in which mm -hmm. tensions are escalating all around. I mean, just look at where Joe Biden was today in Poughkeepsie, New York, trying to pull semiconductor manufacturing back to the U.S. because it's over in Taiwan to a large extent. And if we go to war over there or something happens, our lives will be in, you know, changed forever with 12 percent production of semiconductors here. That's quite a thought. Uh, you know, you start uh, thinking about North Korea here, Bill McGinley, and Iran is watching uh, very closely what's going on here. How important is our response when you consider the standoff over nuclear weapons with Tehran? Oh, I think it's incredibly important. We want to we want less nuclear weapons in the hands of these types of dictators um, and despots in, instead of increasing them, because it has such a destabilizing uh, impact yeah. on uh, the geopolitical world. If this goes and unanswered, think, though, this emboldens Iran, right? I mean, there's no way uh, around abs it. Abs abs absolutely. And, you know, I don't think we can uh, view any of these uh, in isolation. They're not mutually exclusive. Um, you know, there have been meetings where you had the Russians, the Chinese, uh, and, and the Iranians and others um, getting together. And I think, you know, what we're really beginning to see is them kind of testing the resolve uh, of the West and NATO uh, and some of our traditional alliances to see whether we still have uh, the resolve to try and stand up to this type of aggression. Yeah. And I think it's going to be incredibly important. And what a lot of people need to remember, you know, military maneuvers like this is really in support of diplomatic efforts. That's, that's yeah. what you like to think. Bill, thank you. Bill McGinley and Jeannie Shanzano will be back as we turn to cannabis next. This is Bloomberg. I'd like to do this song for our next governor. Me up and smoke me when I die. Oh, there he is. A rare appearance by Willie Nelson on the broadcast. Yeah, he was playing. This is from last weekend in South Austin, Texas. Roll me up and smoke me when I die on behalf of Beto O'Rourke, who he was actually rallying for. And man, I'll tell you what, it was the crowd's favorite part of the whole rally. And that brings us to the matter at hand, something that progressive Democrats have been asking for and, in fact, demanding since electing Joe Biden because he promised cannabis reform. And today, didn't go all the way with decriminalization or some of the other things that have been discussed, but he did announce this. As I said when I ran for president, no one should be in jail just for using or possessing marijuana. It's already legal in many states, and criminal records for marijuana possession have led to needless barriers to employment, to housing, to educational opportunities. And that's before you address the racial disparities around who suffers the consequences. And While so, white and black and brown people use marijuana at similar rates, black and brown people are arrested, prosecuted, and convicted at disproportionately higher rates. Highlighting the equity component of this story and pardoning thousands. This is the announcement. It's a two-pronged announcement a blanket pardon for all prior federal offenses for simple possession, as they call it, of marijuana. Also urging governors to do the same for state offenses involving marijuana and likely uh, affecting potentially many more people that way. But also calling to reschedule the drug 
so that it can be researched and potentially help for medicinal purposes or any number of issues. But there are a lot of complexities that come with this. Criminal defense attorney Jeffrey Lickman joins us to talk about it. He runs a marijuana crimes practice at his firm, having gotten John Gotti acquitted and even repping El Chapo in federal court. Jeffrey, thank you for being with us. We're, we're talking about uh, incremental steps here, right? This is just about the least that the president could have done starting on the federal level. How much larger would it be for governors at the state level to follow? Well, I mean, look, it can be decriminalized, obviously. Yes. It can also be done federally where it's removed from uh, Schedule 1. It doesn't have to be a Schedule 1 drug. It's hardly uh, the same seriousness as LSD as it has been uh, since it was uh, made a Schedule 1 drug in 19, I think, 72. Um, so there's many things that can be done. I think people are really getting ahead of themselves here. Um, How come? They're not appreciating is that Biden is not uh, pardoning people, anybody who's got a, a federal marijuana conviction. He's only pardoning people that have a simple yes. possession. So explain the difference I, for us, Jeffrey. Well, the difference is, is that in 31 years of practice, I don't think I've ever had a case with somebody who's just charged with simple possession. Simple possession is just somebody who possesses drugs. They're very rarely huh. um, prosecuted federally. It's such a, a minor charge that's yeah. usually done in the state. So wouldn't that, would that normally being... involve crossing state lines or something, Jeffrey? How do you actually get arrested uh, uh, on the federal level for marijuana? It could look. It could be crossing state lines. It could be that it was done in a federal uh, facility. But the, the percentage of people that are convicted of just simple possession, compared to related uh, drug offenses, which include uh, possession with uh, intent to distribute, uh, RICO, um, a million different things, mm -hmm. it's maybe I don't know one percent. So instead of wow, all these okay. years that That's marijuana has been illegal for. federally, yeah. you'd think that we'd have how many people would have been convicted? A million? Yeah. We're talking a few thousand people. So that's the number I was looking for here. This, the, and you're getting, I think, to the point that, that, that I was reaching for here. This is going to be a very complicated rollout, and it could be a very disappointing one for, uh, for a lot of folks when, when they realize, number one, how few people this impacts, and the, the even greater patchwork will be left with when some governors follow the president and some do not, Jeffrey. Well, look, you know, that's that's the way this country is. Sometimes states have rights and they make decisions and you decide to live in whichever state you want mm -hmm. based on the laws of that state. But I think that people anticipate that the jails are going to be opened and people are going to be let out. They're just not going to be. Uh, you know, there was one comment that you made. I was listening before I came on where you said, I think that a congressman was concerned that perhaps that a lot of these people that have convictions for simple possession, uh, that they were charged with something more serious, perhaps, right. and they just plea bargain it down. It's mm -hmm. not true. Because if you're charged in a, in a federal uh, narcotics or drug conspiracy or, or drug case, and there's a, a 924C charge included, a gun charge, there's no way they're letting you plead it down to something where you're facing no jail time. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't happen. You either go to trial or they have to dismiss the case because the case fell apart, or they give you a plea and you spend years in prison. So the great majority of people that have marijuana convictions mm -hmm. have much more serious convictions related to it. There's guns, there's this, there's yes, that. Right. None of those people are affected. Hence by the complexity uh, we're talking about here. Jeffrey mentioned the scheduling of the drug. This is the other component of this. As I mentioned, it's not only the pardoning, but the president is calling on the Secretary of Health and the Attorney General, and I can only assume they will follow, uh, to review 
marijuana's classification as what they call a Schedule One drug. That means the federal government sees it as having no currently accepted medical use and a high potential for abuse. As Jeffrey mentioned, that puts it in the same category as heroin and LSD, which to most, I mean, say what you will about cannabis, that does seem a bit extreme at this point, Jeffrey. How significant is that component compared to the pardoning? Well, that will change the penalties, but at the end of the day, I mean, look, in in 19, I'm looking at my notes because I argued a federal appeal on this very issue this year. In 1973, the Second Circuit Court of Appeals said they basically laughed at the fact that marijuana was considered a Schedule One. That was in 1973 when when people didn't know that marijuana had the medicinal uses that it has today. That it wasn't quite uh, people weren't quite as knowledgeable. So this has been going on forever. <laughs> what has to happen is it has to be decriminalized. Period, and then there won't be the related. Uh, criminal offenses that occur in connection with marijuana, you know, the gun charges where there are gangs trying to protect their drugs. All that will end if marijuana is legal. And frankly, we've got enough bad drugs in this country that's coming in. Marijuana should not be our focus. It's taking away resources and it's punishing people that really don't need to be punished. Really incredible. Uh, There's so much to discuss here and anticipate from the president. And again, I don't know what kind of momentum that this might take Uh, on the state level here. But when you talk about decriminalization, Jeffrey, that's got to be done legislatively, right? That's Congress not doing its job to keep up with the the states. Yeah, I mean, look, it's going to have to be done congressionally. I really do believe that the time is right for it. Um, it, And, you know, there's some discussion. I know that Biden said that, uh, you know, this is the type of offense that is, is, is racially unfair. You know, look, you know, Biden was in the Senate when when crack uh, became a thing. Mm. And when there was massive penalties for crack compared to powder cocaine, mm-hmm. you didn't see him talking about the racial disparity then. The people that were going to jail for the rest of their lives were mm. mostly black people. But nobody seemed to care back then. Now we just have to decriminalize it and focus on the drugs that are killing Americans. I don't know that there's been a massive amount of people killed yeah. by smoking marijuana, but we know that there are fentanyl. We know that there is cocaine. We know that there is heroin. Marijuana is the least of our problems. We need to direct our resources elsewhere. Well, I'm awfully glad we got you on the line, uh, Jeffrey. Can you give us a sense before you leave how much of your caseload involves uh, marijuana crimes? How much of your time is spent on this? I would say probably 15%. Yeah. I mean, I do mostly federal work. I do a lot of white-collar stuff. But in terms of the drugs, the heavy cases are the cocaine cases. Right. And judges, when you appear in front of a federal judge on a marijuana case, unless there's violence involved, they're squeamish to give any kind of serious time because everybody recognizes that this should have been rectified, this, this ill, a long time ago. And for some reason, you know, we just keep on ignoring it. You represented John Gotti. You have a sense of how organized crime works. How much of a business is marijuana trafficking for organized crime, whether it's John Gotti or another former client of yours, El Chapo? Well, I would say that marijuana is not as, um, uh, you're not making the same amount of money in in terms of marijuana as you would cocaine or heroin. Hmm. So it's not really that big of a deal in terms of gangs. I've represented Jamaican gangs as well where marijuana was a big deal. But remember, you've got to have a lot of packages of marijuana to make the same amount of money that you would for maybe a softball size amount of cocaine yeah. or crack. 
So people aren't really doing it the same way. The time is so past for this. I can't believe that we're still talking about this in 2023 nearly. Sure are. You know, eventually it'll end. Maybe this will become a campaign issue in 24. We'll see what happens with that. But my gosh, he's a man who's forgotten more than most of us have ever seen when it comes to this stuff. Jeffrey Lickman. Many thanks to you for bringing your expertise to the conversation. We'll get back to the panel next, as you would expect, on Bloomberg Sound On. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Thanks for being with us on Bloomberg Sound On. The fastest hour in politics with the best panel in the business. And today we have Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributor, Democratic analyst, joined by Bill McGinley, uh, Republican strategist, principal at the Vogel Group. What did you think about what you just heard, Jeannie? We wanted to drill down with an actual expert here, a lawyer in the business. And boy, Jeffrey certainly knew what he was talking about. This is 1% maybe of the marijuana convictions that are being pardoned here uh, by President Biden. And it could be even less than that when you start factoring in other crimes. When people start understanding what's really going on here, will he be blamed for not doing enough? He could be. And and I think he made a really important point about how limited this step is. But I think by and and he's absolutely right, of course. And, and, you know, the number we heard again was like sixty five hundred, maybe a couple thousand more. That's not that many. And as he mentioned, these are simple possession uh, people convicted with simple possession, certainly Mm -hmm. not other higher crimes. But that said, I also think it's important to underscore that this is quite a turnaround for Joe Biden. Yes, he did on the campaign trail promise to take this step, Mm -hmm. but he was the only candidate in 2020 who did not publicly support federal Mm descheduling. And as your guest just mentioned, he also was responsible as a senator for some of the toughest crime laws, drug laws in the country. And so there is some kind of people uh, ring with hypocrisy as he talks today about the impact on black and brown people Mm -hmm. in terms of 
disproportional rates of incarceration and conviction and arrest because, of course, he led the charge in the other direction as a senator. So, you know, I do think it's remarkable from the perspective of who Joe Biden has been and who he is today that he took this step. And it reintroduces this issue at a time when it's desperately needed to catch up with where the states are headed. If it were not for the midterms being less than five weeks away, Bill McGinley, would this be announced right now? I don't think so. I think they would have waited until after the election and probably tried to work with the uh, congressional committees, uh, the judiciary committees on both the House and Senate to try and do something, Mm -hmm. develop a little bit more data before you do something like this. I think uh, your prior guest made a good point about how limited in scope uh, what the president actually did. But I think also reinforcing the point, this is something for Congress to tackle. We need to do some legislation on this. Um, presidential executive orders and even clemency is not going to get this done and not resolve the issue. It's time for Congress to act. Well, I'll tell you, the reaction on Wall Street was significant today. The uh, the, the marijuana ETF MJ up 23%. That's the alternative harvest ETF Cureleaf. I just mentioned because it is the largest uh, retailer, the largest operator of dispensaries around the country, up 35%. Wall Street sometimes knows more than Washington does, Jeannie. They do. And, you know, this is one side of this story that I think people involved in this have not have felt like hasn't been told enough, um, which is the economic benefits of, you know, we're not talking about legalization, certainly at this point at the federal level, but of taking steps towards legalizations. The states, some of these localities, they have recognized that. And people in favor of, you know, decriminalization, legalization, they've long been saying that there are benefits here that have gone unrecognized. And certainly Wall Street is not surprisingly recognizing that before Washington, D.C. And to Bill's point, which is so important, as with so many other things in the United States, it's not enough to be making policy by executive order or EO. Mm -hmm. You've Mm -hmm. got to get Congress to act. And unfortunately, I think after the election, it's likely we're going to see the brakes put on something like this for a long period of time. That's the that's the flip of the coin here, uh, Bill. You know, it's not just Joe Biden looking to help Democrats, but they know that this window is closing, right? I mean, any effort to decriminalize in a Republican-led house is going to die a quick death, right? Yeah, but look, I mean, we're spending a lot of time talking about the criminalization versus decriminalization, sure. which schedule should marijuana be on. You know, equally important to all of the states where, where uh, marijuana is legal is also the banking issue and, and how they're able to transact business. I mean, you know, this is such a big business in some of these states. We really need to have a comprehensive look at how the the marijuana cannabis in, industry is uh, is performing, how it's sold, you know, what some of the restrictions are to keep it away from school children, uh, but also the economics of it, including how uh, these businesses are able to conduct their business through banks as opposed to cash transactions, etc. So, I mean, it's it's a pretty significant issue uh, that deserves a lot of uh, attention. Uh, from Congress, and hopefully we'll we'll get a resolution to this soon. Yeah, hopefully, although we're not holding our breath. Bill McGinley and Jeannie Shanzano <laughs> yeah. with us in our remaining moments as we steer the panel, and I'm sorry to do this to you, but I have no choice, to Herschel Walker. It's a story uh, that won't go away. As the woman who earlier this week said Herschel Walker, this, of course, the Republican Senate candidate in Georgia, paid for her abortion in 2009, now says that he knows who she is because she is the mother of one of his children. This uh, is a new report out after the Daily Beast first made this report this week. He hasn't been able to stop talking about it. 
and has spent the better part of his week on Fox News answering questions. Much like in this case, not on Fox News, he actually had to hold a news conference today. He set up an outdoor briefing so reporters could throw questions at him because this is obviously a big deal. And it's one that we've seen in his race spin somewhat into the to the favor of of his Democratic rival, the incumbent Raphael Warnock. Listen to this exchange with reporters today as they try to find out if Herschel Walker actually knows this woman. Have you reached out to any of the mothers of your children? No. To ask why? Why not? Uh, why do I need to? Well, because according to the article, one the woman who says that you paid for her to have an abortion is also the mother of one of your children. It seems like that's, that's an easy way to... Because of the article, I had more kids. That's why I haven't reached out to anyone, because I said no, and that's what I mean. When I said no, I, I said it's not correct, that's a lie, and that's what I mean, that's a lie. I have literally no idea what that answer means. Jeannie, do Democrats just let him take the rope here uh, that he's clearly running with, or do they actually have to start leaning into attacking him? No, I think they, I think they should let him go forward. I think Raphael Warnock's response and, and the Democrats' response has been right on to focus on the policy issue and the fact that this is somebody advocating a very extreme position when it comes to an issue that, you know, 60% of Americans feel that there should be an exception in the case of rape or incest or the life of the mother. That's not a position he's adopted, except apparently perhaps when it comes to himself. And let the voters decide that. You know, as you listen, and I did listen, to what he had to say he leaves himself an opening if you notice he says he's given money he doesn't yeah. know what people have done with that money right and i think that will be the out if it becomes tied that it is uh, the mother of one of his children and he does know who the w- woman is he will say he had no knowledge of where that money went yeah every day this week if you really listen to the words that he's saying he hasn't denied a lot he has called this uh, a lie but then he goes to to to, to use very careful language bill uh, I send money to lots of people. I never urged anyone to get an abortion. What the heck is going to happen here? And re- will Republicans continue to defend him through November? I think as it stands right now, yes. I mean, Senator Rick Scott, who's the chairman of the NRSC, has has come out to to say that they're they're going to stand by him right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think other national Republicans have done the same. Um, you know, from the Republicans point of view, um, you know, this, these are, you know, it's a serious issue, but he's come out and denied it. Um, but also, it also speaks to the fact that his his candidacy was beginning to get traction. I mean, consistently in the polls, Herschel Walker was up by two points over the Senator Warnock. Um, and it just tells you that the Democrats felt that they needed to dump this opposition research uh, now in October. Uh, so it speaks to the competitiveness of that race where the Democrats, I think, thought that they had uh, the race sewn up how worried, over the summer. How worried should Warnock be about an oppo dump in the next couple of weeks, Jeannie? You know, I think he's always. you always have to be worried about that. We yeah. do know there are grumblings of, of, of charges that could be made against him. And I think the real concern here for Democrats and for Raphael Warnock is the fact that despite this issue, voters simply may not be responding to it. And I don't think, at least I haven't seen enough public polling out of Georgia to know. Yeah. Because, you know, issues of crime, issues of inflation, issues of gas, those are things on top of mind. This may not be. And, you know, we've seen candidates like Donald Trump and others 
who have weathered these kinds of storms. So that's got to be a concern, and that's why Warnock's got to keep focusing on the issues that are important to voters and stay out of this fray and let Walker deal with this issue on his own. Do Georgia voters care more about Republicans being in the majority bill or, or this latest Access Hollywood type of story? You know, I really think this is going to come down, you know, Republicans, for Republicans, this this election's all about change. Mm-hmm. Um, for all of the reasons that Jeannie just said, you know, the gas and food inflation, uh, the sputtering economy, all of the foreign affairs issue, but Sounds really like the they kitchen don't care. table issues. Uh, no, I think I, and I think they do, they do care. But I think Democrats are going to continue these types of attacks because they don't want it to be a change narrative they're fighting over. It's a choice between two candidates. In the Bill McGinley, Jeannie Shanzano, great panel. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.